Welcome to the Colors of the Dark podcast feed. I am your co-host, Alric Kane. As we discussed in our last episode a couple weeks ago, we will be taking a few weeks hiatus as we're both uh, chasing down creative endeavors. And so we wanted to keep some entertainment flowing uh, in this feed while we're gone. So every couple weeks, we are going to release an older, but starting with more recent, uh, Patreon episodes of our show Deep Cuts. Uh, Deep Cuts, as we like to say, is where the weird stuff goes, uh, while Colors of the Dark focuses more on the new releases uh, and kind of deep dive topics. Uh, There are no rules to our Deep Cut show. It is where we go to discuss uh, what we're eating for dinner that day and what four uh, movies of obscurity that we have uh, indulged in. It's like where we like to hunt for things we haven't seen yet for the most part. They tend to be uh, difficult to find, rarities, and sometimes just uh, interesting movies we haven't seen. uh, so this is a place we really enjoy doing this show, and I'd say if you enjoy these uh, free ones that we're going to be putting on the feed every two weeks, I would highly recommend you go join our Patreon uh, Deep Cuts, uh, because we will continue to do that during this hiatus. We're going to do our best. We might have to do a couple solo ones, but we are going to try to keep that feed moving. So we hope you enjoy this. Uh, on this particular episode, this one comes from, I believe, April of this year, uh, we have some... Uh, prank call horror we have some category three hong kong horrors that will be explained within uh some 70s exploitation films a 1930s body parts movie and uh, a little touch of the divine so we like to get all eclectic in here we hope you enjoy this and stick around and think about coming over and joining our patreon And welcome to Deep Cuts. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry. And with me on this early Friday morning, so much so that he hasn't even made his bed yet, is Elric mm-hmm. Kane. And I'm drinking coffee. So, And you're drinking coffee. I've, mm-hmm. I've already moved on to diet ginger ale. Oh, it's that time of day? It's that time of day. I had two Wind cups. Down. I've been up since 6.30, but I already had several cups of tea and um, then decided I needed a diet ginger ale for the show. Some and of I just us realized, were up late last night winning trivia. Sorry. I, I know. Just... I was getting ready to ask about that. So unfortunately, I have not been able to leave the house all week because both my kids tested positive for COVID. Um, so please do just rip your masks off in the middle of Target. Like I am so mixed on that now. Yeah. I was the first one to be like, we have beat COVID and take my mask off. And now um, we have no airplanes. idea where they, yeah, airplanes, man. The parties airplanes. people are having, not good. We have no idea where they got it from. We have to assume school because they've had a couple cases in their school over the last few weeks. But at the same time, it could be Target. It could be CVS. It could be in and out Burger. Like we have not been... Um, enforcing, you know, get your damn mask back on as much as we did. And why, so, why you got to drag in and out? I know. Well, because I in and out's innocent. It's innocent of all charges. You know, I would think that, but on Friday evening, after I picked the kids up from school last Friday, we ate at In and Out Burger, and it's as all In and Out Burgers are a crowded clusterfuck. Um, oh, inside you went inside. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so inside, I mean, we were in there with like a hundred some other people and standing in line for an hour with all these people, none of whom were wearing masks. And so when I'm trying to figure out where they got it from, I'm like, who the fuck knows? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but um, neither well, of them have had incredibly bad symptoms. But I, I am still testing negative. So good plea for boosters there. Um, you just somehow, locked them in a room and shut the door for five days, and you're <laughs> like oh, throwing well, food at them. Yeah, you just put a bunch of bags under of the chips. door. Yeah, they'll be That's fine. Not far off. I kind of had this yeah. approach of like this week sucked because the kids they don't feel shitty. Like honestly, this is the type of stuff I probably would have sent them to school with pre pandemic back in our stupid years. You know, oh, it's a slight sniffle. You're fine. Just go to school. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, well, they've been stuck home all week. So it's been very much like, who wants Pop-Tarts for breakfast? Like, I've just, no fucks have been given this week. Like, I've made a chocolate cake on Wednesday because I'm just like, this is where we are, guys. It's shitty. Let's at least enjoy. So I have not censored video games. I have not censored YouTube. They're watching Life Force with Mommy. That's basically it. Yeah, just all bets are off this week because it's just a shitty situation. So we might as well just do what we enjoy. Um, And that's been my week. And I've watched a lot of movies because of that. But yeah, but I didn't make it to trivia last night. So how was trivia? It was okay. 
This is okay. This it was is okay. okay. I mean, you weren't there. It's different. Whenever another team hosts, it's always a little flatter. I always find, including when we hosted. Um, but yeah, there's a couple good rounds, a couple impossible rounds. Uh, I'm going to call out publicly Jim Brascombe from Cinematic Void, who wasn't there, but sent his questions in. And they were basically impossible. I said to my group, oh, yeah, me, me and him have the same taste. I'll, I got this. I think the highest, I think somebody, one team maybe got three out of eight it was impo- it was basically impossible questions, and it was like uh, I think there should be a rule that you should, if, if, no matter who's hosting, if you are not physically there, you do not get to write or ask <laughs> questions because if you can hide behind the veil of not not uh, not showing up, then uh, you could ask the hardest questions ever. So, uh, but it was a mixed bag. But we won, but we kind of won defaulty. The other team, like in the final round, uh, you know, got the who last was the other wrong. team in the fault round? In oh, the I don't final round, anyone else but me? I don't know anyone. <laughs> I don't even recognize faces. I just know our, our team and our players and our championship run. I don't know who these other people are. They well, look the familiar. Important thing. What good DVDs did you come home with? Well, no, it's, this was important because there's only one thing I wanted when I got there, when I saw it was there, and I wanted one of the Argento 4Ks. And I got Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 4K. I was completely happy, and I'm very excited. One movie I want to talk about here that I've always wanted to see that uh, Dick won, but he didn't know it. I told him, get it so we can watch it. Primutus. That crazy German, it's like a German gore film from the 80s. I've always wanted to see it. I stuffed that in. So I had gotten that. Uh um, uh, Like it had been sent to me as a press copy. And I was like, I don't know about this. And I had two copies of it. And I put one in trivia and I still have one sitting on my shelf. I I saw a review of it that looked just real interesting. I mean, it looks super gory, but it's also from, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And I'm like, okay, I want to see it. So we can make that one of our upcoming deep cuts can be premutos. Let me know when you and Dick watch it and I will check it it out as well. Um, But it was fine. And, you know, some of them did did a good good job. And, uh, you know, this Brian Collins' team was hosting um uh and yeah that was fine i mean look we're, we're at a point where it's still weird half doing things in person half being online with our lives yep. and i don't think anyone's still complete two feet on the ground yet so uh, i'm no. always in i'm always in two minds but um but yeah i saw i i'm only keeping mine i think i got three things today um excellent in descending order four. of quality okay um, i have four well don't expect say- four going forward though once we're on once we're running around doing other stuff we're going to probably keep it to two or three each time i don't know i mean both elric and i um we will let our patreon subscribers know both elric and i are getting ready to um go shoot films um i leave uh, covid pending in um about 10 days that should give it very ample time to clear my household um and i've got my fourth booster which seems to be holding as i say that i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna get it tomorrow i know um but yeah so like we're we're both gearing up within the next i'll say couple of weeks to go shoot projects and i always well, watch a more, more longer you're going earlier but you're yeah. well you're also, covid pending COVID, all right covid pending and mine's because mine's so indie i have to do a lot <laughs> like like it's not like you know being a director i won't be able to show up i'm gonna have to also basically uh producing it as well so it's kind of like uh so I, i'm kind of sure the few weeks going out i'm not going to watch as many movies I'm, or i mm. might watch them but i'm not gonna have time to talk about them as much so no doubt um, no so, i um, always end up watching a lot while i'm shooting just because when i get off of set um i always have an hour and a half of like i'm going to eat and you know watch something and i always find myself gravitating towards really mindless horror during that time like especially if you're on location you like that's the difference you've been on location the last one and this one so you probably will have that downtime Mm -hmm. i think when you're not on location you don't have as much time because you're that is so true you're still running and gunning but um but yeah no that sounds nice going to winnipeg actually or somewhere like that in canada i don't know i mean like jackson when i shot um glorious last summer it was It was definitely nice because for prep, I felt isolated. Like I basically could become a machine where I was just not even thinking about anything else. I was isolated in my hotel room. It was basically just, you know, I made pancakes for myself for breakfast because I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. And then I just focused entirely on the film. But after it had been going for two weeks, it became after it was, you know, that we were kind of a well running machine. And like you could see the end in sight. It was very much like. Well, it's Saturday. I guess I'll go walk around the park again. But that was at the height of COVID where like I was scared to like go hang out at the mall. Not that I'd ever hang out at the mall, but like I was scared to go in Barnes and Noble. I remember that like being very alarmed just because we were still in height of the pandemic. Um, 
And the Mississippi was definitely way more lax than we'd been in LA. I remember having a bit of kind of geography shock going there. And at that time, LA was still like fully locked down in Mississippi. Like you barely had a pandemic going there. Um, But yeah, so I'm interested to see how I feel on location now that I'm traveling to beautiful Winnipeg. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to, to get to start. I will say that I'm really excited to get there and get started. So but we'll drop um, some mini updates as we go, but we, the future of the short term future of things is a little unclear. The colors of dark will definitely be off for a couple months mm-hmm. or, uh, or unless we end up doing individual things or weird little catch ups, but in general where it will be off and then this, we will try to keep going. Yeah. We're going to try to keep try the Patreon going. <laughs> it might change form <laughs> here and there. And, uh, but that will it'll still be fun. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we even talked about like doing in depth, deep dives on one, film um for the episodes or even just catch-up episodes or yeah, we'll you know, rewatch. I, I, sometimes deep dives are harder than watching a couple of random Seriously? things shortly yeah because you have to you have to go way more i mean who knows we'll see what's up well i'm gonna jump in um yeah, with it. mine and i will say that some of the ones that i've got this week i don't know if they're technically deep cuts but they are what? older. Did films. you know the show title is Deep Cuts? Yeah, you're gonna, no, you're gonna here's, stray. Here's my thing: is I rewatched these um, for a different project that I'm doing for a research project that I've been doing, and these are all classic films that I that I view as classic, but I don't think that they've been getting as much play as of mm. you know last ten years or so. And I do have to say, with one of these, even though I think it's considered a classic, I don't think anybody's ever watched past the first 10 minutes. So I'm going to jump in there with When a Stranger Calls from 1979. Oh, the original. So the original. So like I have given so much love for When a Stranger Calls back. Um, Also for the cold open, like the rest of the movie, it's okay. Um, But yeah, the cold open is amazing. So I could not remember if I had ever seen the entire movie of When a Stranger Calls. I knew I had seen that amazing cold open with Carol King, but I could not for the life of me recall what the rest of the movie was about. And then I started looking online and every single review was like, yeah, cold open, next level shit. Like this is some amazing classic cinema. Rest of the movie, entirely forgettable. So I decided I was going to watch the whole thing. And I don't think I had ever seen the rest of the movie. And I have to say, it was a total slog. Oh, um, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Like I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, if it's even remotely as good as that first like 20 minute segment, it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, so I am going to start by focusing on that cold open um, because I think most of us know kind of the general setup of it, but none of my students had ever seen it. So it's clearly not like transcending to, to younger generations. Um, and it was and remade. Is- it was remade a few years ago, which was watchable. I remember th- watching I remember it in theaters it, being like, it's fine. It, it wasn't it's great. Fine. It was very vanilla. Yeah. I remember yeah. that it had a cat prank. Like it had the traditional cat scare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember it just walking out and being like, it was, it was okay. Um, yeah. But this one, 1979, Fred Walton. So the setup at the beginning is that Carol King is babysitting. And all of a sudden, like she's put the kids to bed. The house is pitch black. She's literally sitting in a pool of light next to one lamp on the couch. The whole house is dark. And she gets this phone call. And it is this indecipherable guy who's basically like, the children. And she's like, I didn't understand that. And she just hangs up the phone. And then 10 minutes later, he calls back. And it's slightly more easy to understand. He's like, have you tricked the children? And then she starts getting these repeat calls from this guy. Why haven't you checked the children? And that's what I think most people remember from the movie is that one line. Have you checked the children? And after this has been going on for a half an hour, she calls the cops and she's like, weirdo dude keeps calling me and asking me if I've checked the children. Now, the important thing to note here is that, no, she never checks the children. (laughs) She just stays on that couch. The most she ever does is she kind of goes to the stairs and looks up and goes, yup, those are some stairs up there, and then goes right back to her darkly lit couch. And the cop, she calls him, and she's like, okay, dude keeps calling me asking if I've checked the children and the cops are like, well, he's not threatening you. He's not really doing anything. We get crank calls all the time. But if he calls again, we'll put a tracer on your line. Just call us back immediately afterwards and we can tell you who this dude is. This is long before the ages of caller ID. 
and uh, but they say you got to keep them on the line for like a couple minutes in order for us to run the trace. So try to keep him talking this next time. Cool. He calls back. And she starts having a conversation with him. And what she is able to ascertain real quickly is that one, he can see her because he's like, no, no, I can totally see you have not gone to check the children. Why aren't you checking the children? And then she keeps talking to him and she's like, why are you calling me? What do you want to do to me? And the scariest line of this cold open happens there where suddenly he stops asking about the children and says, I want to be covered in your blood. And suddenly it's like, creepy, yeah. Oh shit, that's like some next level stuff. And she's trying to keep him on the line, but he eventually gets wise that they might be trying to trace the call and he hangs up. And then immediately she gets the call from the police. And this is the part we all know. She gets the call from the police and they're like, the call is coming from within the house. It's another line. They had a separate phone line that they must have forgotten about. And the call is coming from upstairs. Get out of the house. And so she runs for the front door and thus ends our cold open. And what we find out was that this guy is like a mental case. He had broken in. And this is where if you actually think about everything he's done, it gets kind of silly. He had broken into the house. He had killed both of the kids. Then he had found an old phone line in the house that no one was using, plugged a phone into it, figured out the phone number for the line they are using in the house, and then started calling her while somehow still being upstairs, having silently killed the children while she was there in, in and his defense the cat told him the cat told him to he got in there probably. the cat has another line <laughs> another line in the bedroom <laughs> and so yeah this is but the suspense and the holy shit the calls are coming from within the house it's still intense like it is still a brilliant cold open and so then that takes 20 minutes and it's great but then it shifts as it is now like seven, 10 years later or so, and Carol King has moved on with her life and everybody has forgotten about this killer. He's been put away in a um, psychiatric ward. He the, the actual movie part starts with him breaking out of the psychiatric ward and coming back to town to try to find her. But it follows him. It follows him as he like goes to a bar and everyone starts bullying him because he's the weird guy in the corner. And then he tries to date a girl, but he's kind of weird. And so she's not sure. And so it basically becomes a story about him being ridiculed by society while the police are trying to find him, um, knowing that he has broken out. It gets bizarre and it is completely devoid of scares in the actual film. As it just gets into kind of following the killer around as he tries to blend in with society and basically just gets the shit kicked out of him. Like he gets beat up a couple of times. Um, and but can he camouflage his body and throw his voice? He cannot. There's See, nothing that's cool a shame. like that. Because that There's happens no... in a, a certain sequel that we will, yeah. that, that's a little bit more fun. Uh, isn't the cop the same though? Yes, uh, the cop is the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's it's not. I can't even say it's okay. Like, the actual movie, movie part of this was an absolute slog. Like, I was having to force myself through it. But man, look up who the killer is. I'm curious. Rewatch the cold open, y'all. Just go back and rewatch the cold open. And don't think about the lunacy of, like, having to find working phone lines and then getting the number and all that stuff. Like, just go in and watch the cold open for what is presented on screen it's great it is absolutely great um so this movie once i started researching it i was fascinated by it because it was actually given really shitty reviews on opening from people like me who are like well the 45 minutes after the cold open um or an hour after the cold open is is not good um so it was given these really not polite reviews but it was over time that people started just remembering that cold open and really championing it as one of the best cold opens in history Mm. um so it's really interesting that it kind of just had this rise back to fame to be a classic horror canon just based on that first 20 minutes Hmm. So Interesting. that is when a stranger calls 1979. Yeah. We've given a lot more love to the sequel, which also Carol Kane's in, but yeah, Charles Durning's the cop. And I always remember mm-hmm. him. He's neat in the sequel. The, the killer, I don't recognize, but, 
But if there's one reason to watch this movie, he's probably in one scene. There's a lieutenant character played by Superfly. I just realized yes. Ron O'Neill is in this movie somehow. He's so. actually in a decent amount okay. of it. Like, so you I'd see watch him. Superfly movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the sequel has an equally uh, great opening, right? So. Yeah, but the sequel, I have to say, like, the whole movie of the sequel is pretty Because it's weird. Yeah, because it gets yeah, super weird. It's yeah. weird. Um, yeah. It gets real trippy. This one probably just watch that cold open and it is still a great cold open all right i was gonna go from my best to to descending order but because you started there i'm gonna reverse engineer all my picks i have an absolute like discovery of the year gem on my list here and then i have two that less so so i'm gonna start with the less so um uh i'm gonna start with okay so i saw a movie that has a great cover called blood mania from 1970, this is, and the reason I watched it, I had to hunt for this because the director is Robert Vincent O'Neill, and he is famous to me and listeners because he wrote Vice Squad, uh, one of my favorite movies, and he directed the Angel films. And I love Angel, the first Angel film, uh, especially that's on Shutter about the you know the high school girl who's also a call girl at night. It's super mm-hmm. sleazy and fun. I love Angel. Some of those, I yeah, they're on Shutter. Right I think now. they recently popped say, up. Yeah. I rewatched part two like a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. The first one's great and it fits in well with Vice Squad. So I love these films and I had read of his passing about two weeks ago. Um, the guy did. And so I was looking him up and I was like, oh, he did a horror film early on. This was his first one called Blood Mania. The cover is great. It's like all these blood. It's streets. gorgeous. Yeah. So I was like excited that it was a horror film and it's not really a horror film. It, it, it If you can make it through to the last like five minutes, I would say that's when it's hard. It's more like a exploitation version of a Lifetime movie, like a lifetime setup with a very exploitation sexploitation uh shooting style and demographic for sure everyone's really hot on this movie like every woman every guy like there's something about it where you're watching oh wow everyone in this at least they're all hot like given given what they're all doing and the sleaziness of the story um it's one one neat thing a lot of it's set at a mansion that uh i read afterwards was previously owned by bella lugosi and i was like oh wow um okay so that it was kind of timely though because of what's happening in our laws and like it's sadly to me um that it became kind of uh almost coming back around because the restrictive abortion laws are suddenly popping back up again and that's the real horror of this country i'd say but uh in in this film it's basically this really high-end doctor who's like you know mr rich guy and he only like deals with wealthy patients and he's kind of you know full of himself he's looking after this old guy who owns this huge mansion and uh you know you get the feeling like this doctor is kind of on his high horse he goes home he sleeps with his girlfriend you get to see everything in detail and then this sleazy guy from his past shows up and is like, I need 50 grand from you. He's like, I'm not going to do it. He goes, then I'm going to have to tell people what you've been doing every time you're short of money these last few years because he's been performing illegal abortions. This is like pre-Road First Way, Road First Way, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, 1970. Yeah, 1970. And probably shot in 68 or 69. So it, it's definitely setting in that thing where, ooh, that's really taboo in this for this guy, which, you know, when I'm watching it through today's lens, I'm going, oh boy, I don't want us to go backwards to this. Um, anyway, so it's interesting. So the sleazy guys like trying to get money from him so he that this this um this doctor starts kind of says something to the daughter of this wealthy older guy who's a little sick and she's like oh this is a great chance i'll give you the money you just have to basically you know he basically has to fuck her (laughs) and she's basically wanting sex from him and he's like okay and she's a little obsessive and a little weird and he doesn't realize that that means she's going to now start poisoning her father and try to knock him off early so she can get the inheritance Things don't go right when she starts because that's what I mean. It's very lifetime, except it has way more sex. It goes mm-hmm. in that direction, and then when the the will is read, and it's actually everything has been left to her other sibling, uh, who then comes to town. This blonde girl who then starts also dating the doctor. That's when it it kind of turns hard in the last act with a crazy, like a pretty intense, some pretty intense murder imagery and some body disposal stuff. That's actually quite fun. I would say it's a like you were just saying, it's a bit of a slog. This is a bit of a slog. Like it's not all that exciting for the most part. It's got a couple moments where you're like, okay, it makes sense that it's from the guy who wrote Vice Squad and stuff. But I would say the last ten minutes were worth watching, and I kind of got into it by the end. Um, and it kind of goes there, uh, and you get you know that full. It's uh, some interesting. Like I, it might have been shot by Gary Graver, who. I can't remember if it was, but he had shot like Wells's last thing in the seventies and he shot a lot of horror stuff. And so it gets a lot more experimental by the end, which is fun because it feels more like a, an experimental horror at the very end, but I can't highly recommend this one. It, to me, it's like a weaker output uh, by this director, but uh, yeah, blood mania was interesting. Um, Damn fine cover. 
Yeah, damn fine cover. And I'll throw one in here because I'm not going to go deep on it. I was just going to mention it. It wasn't on my actual list, but I forgot that I'd watched. Um, I'd never seen Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, I love that one so much. I was yeah, in the was, play in like ninth grade. And it makes um, sense that it's a play. I mean, because it is very stage bound to this mm-hmm. house. But but yeah, I just wanted this has been on my um, to watch list. Like every Halloween for maybe the last five years, I've almost pushed play. And every time I look at the running time and it's a full 120 minutes where i'm like yeah i don't need screwball for 120 minutes uh so but i had to watch it because it's playing at the new bev in the next couple weeks and so i watched it frank capra it's Cary grant and i think Cary grant's excellent in it like it's from start to finish he's funny as hell it is a screwball set with his he has these two lovely aunts in their new york brooklyn uh house that uh, is adjacent to a graveyard it's on halloween night uh, and he's about to get married. He's like a confirmed bachelor. And he, he finds out that his aunts have 19 bodies in the cellar. And they're the loveliest people you've ever met. And he's like, what, what? You know, he doesn't understand why they've killed people. And they're like, no, we're just helping them out. We're just like, these are people who, don't, who shouldn't live anymore. They're old and sad. And, and so they're actually very sweet. And so he's like freaking out about that. He's screwing up his relationship. And then his evil brother returns home who looks like he's had plastic surgery to look like uh, Boris Karloff, which is a great running gag through the movie. And Peter Laurie is his like assistant doctor guy and it's just like kind of wild and you know it's a little tiring at two hours but it's a fun madcap movie so i thought i'd throw it in if somebody like me hadn't seen it yet it's a fun i have one. always wanted to do a contemporary remake of this like this it, is yeah. one of those that like i always return to because it is it's like a it's almost a screwball horror comedy. Like I look yeah. at it in a very kind of burbs or like what we used to have in the nineties, like a drowning Mona or so I yeah. married no, it an is definitely murderer. That. It's black like, comedy. Yeah. That is done in that, in the screwball vein. Yeah. Like burbs is a good example too. Like he is kind of like that character yeah, trying to hold is. everything together. Yeah. And, and it's just like this madness spiraling around him. Um, That's really morbid and twisted. I yeah. love arsenic and old lace so yeah, much. Yeah. That and it's was, Frank Capra. I, so, so actually that's a great comparison you just made without even uh going there because the whole point this is directed by frank capra and if you uh look up especially gremlins every review of gremlins ever put on uh down is that it's capra-esque america it's like joe dante going into that version which the burbs i totally meant to do that of course you did yeah i'm kidding i'm fucking kidding you you totally looked it up anyway but that's just fun for people to say there are strong threads between joe dante's style and this like it is just that absolute black comedy lunacy of situations spiraling out of control that if you step back and look at them they're way more bleak than you know they're being yeah the reality of what Um, the murder is bleaker than how it's treated yeah no but it's fun it was a fun one um, okay, so I am going to jump into 1935. Um, so this one <laughs> is kind of a deep cut like i kept thinking like this uh, people must know of this um and i have a feeling you've seen it mad love from 1935 mad Mad love i haven't just yeah you're right it's definitely deep cut but this is actually one of my favorite movies because it's uh directly related to things like eyes without a face and um a a little movie that i like from the 90s uh yeah this is kind of body body part c uh, i think it's based on i think ultimately they're all kind of based on the same kind of text if you know what i mean like you can see it from one movie to the other a little bit but yeah yeah so i thought you had covered this a couple of years ago it also goes by the name long time ago maybe orlock um and i want to say you covered this on deep cuts probably like our very first round or so Like, like you know what i think it is me and you did a live show in panic fest and we did it on body horror. On that, body and I, horror, and I you're probably right. brought it up there because it's mm-hmm. all you know pieces of body. But yeah, and there was a film before it also called Hands of Warlock. It's also called Hands of Warlock, but there's like one another few years prior that I haven't seen. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a story that's been done a few times. Yeah, so this one I knew of as like a historical sense, like could talk about the history of it, but I don't yeah. think I'd ever actually seen it. Um, and I caught a clip of the one scene, the big scene that I'll get yeah. to in a sec, and was immediately like, what the fuck is this madness? Okay, I have to see this. Yeah. Um, so mad love dove in on some um it was Wednesday morning. It was like right at like the height of both my kids testing positive, where I was like, Fuck all. Well, I'm not working today. Um, I'm watching Mad Love while I uh, clean up after two uh, COVID kids. Um, So anyway, the setup of this one is that there is this actress, this beautiful actress, but she does these um, kind of grand gignola shows. They're called Theater of Horror. And so she's basically this horror stage actress. 
And there is this doctor who goes to all of her shows, Dr. Google, who is basically obsessed with her and like follows her around and comes to see every show. And he goes to her dressing room after the show and is like, you are the greatest thing ever. And she's like, cool, you should meet my husband. And then immediately he is crushed because he realizes she is married. So like you do, he instead buys a life-sized wax figure of her which I have to say is the oddest marketing decision for an actress ever. Like I'm going to make life-size dolls of myself, but cool. He does that. And then that night she and her husband are in a car accident and he loses his hands. And so the actress is like, I just met this doctor. She goes to him and is like, I need you to help my husband. He's an amazing piano player. He's a pianist. And I need you to help fix his hands. So then Dr. Gogol decides that he is going to take hands from a convicted murderer named um, Rollo the Knife Thrower. He's a professional life, knife thrower because I guess that was a thing. He just, and, But Rollo also killed people. And See every the, Long Chaney film ever made as a knife Every thrower. Long Chaney <laughs> film. Yeah, he's a knife thrower. Um, so Dr. Gogol decides to take the now dead hands from Rollo the Murdering Knife Thrower and put them on the piano player because this is the most strangely complicated circuitous plot to win her favor so cool now he has put these knife thrower hands on her piano playing husband and they all go back to their lives while he sits in the corner and giggles because he knows this is going to go bad and all of a sudden the piano playing husband can no longer play piano but he can throw knives really well for some reason and then he starts murdering people And then he's like, what's up? What's wrong with me? This weird dude shows up and is like, hey, you want to know the secret of why you're throwing knives and murdering people? Come talk to me. And then he shows up and it is Rolo still alive saying that his head has been grafted onto a different body and that he's still alive and he wants his damn hands back. And there we are. The that's where it goes full body connection. parts. That, yeah, that's full and that's body where it, that it thing with the neck brace. Bosses. The neck brace oh, is God, exactly. Oh, the neck brace? So Eric Red must have been oh my God. directly off that. It um, is almost exact like the neck brace and body parts. So this whole movie is just bonkers and complicated and weird and wacky. And this is basically 1934 body parts where I spent the whole time going, wait, what? Knife thrower. Okay. Okay. I'm still in. I'm just going with it. And because it's during um, the time of the universal horror films, it feels so crazy because it's it feels what, like so much crazier than that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And like, a shop, uh, the director is, I'm pretty sure it's Carl, Carl Freund. Yeah, who mm-hmm. did M- The Mummy and stuff. And he was a DP on a ton of those. I he think did he was Metropolis. A, thank you. Yeah. Well, the, well, he's the DP on uh, Metropolis. He was the DP on um, the original Dracula, I believe. So he he was usually a DP and then he directed things like The Mummy and stuff, you know? So yeah. he's, a, he's a mixture. He, I, I just only know, I only remember looking him up because of Mad Love and going, oh, wow, this guy did a lot of cool stuff. And very expressionistic. Uh, yeah, but but you but you also just missed the coolest connection ever, which was who plays Doctor Gogol was the guy I was just talking about Arsenic and Aldites. He's the doctor in oh, Arsenic. It's Al- Peter Lorre. Peter, Peter, you have to come and talk to me because I, I can put her her hands on your body, you know, and yeah. himself. It's very very. And at the time, I looked up. He was not really well known in american cinema at this time like he had done m and he'd done a bunch of international stuff so he definitely had like street cred in horror but he was definitely not really really well known as an american actor so this was one of his kind of first um roles here in the states and he's fucking unhinged in this one it's wild for the 30s it's got to be one of the most unhinged movies it's also um i i I must have looked this up recently because after the show ends, just anyone listening, look up Mad Love trailer. I think I must have been for pure cinema because I must have needed the clip. And usually I'll find some crazy clip. In this case, you will find Peter Laurie dressed in a tuxedo, lying on a couch, calling the actress. Go, oh, hello, dear. Yes. Oh, we're just talking. And you're watching the trailer. It has nothing to do with the movie. They're selling it like that a wasn't high even glitzy. In there. No, it's nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> it's like a high glitzy, glamorous looking thing where they're just talking. Let's do a movie. Oh, yes. We'll call it Mad Love. And you're just going, what the fuck are they doing? Like, it's so weird how movies were marketed. It's it's hilarious. It's like very weird. Like there was no actual good trailer of the movie itself. It's all just that. So, uh, wow. yeah. Wow. It's a really, really fun, crazy movie. Well, I'd love to do a thing where you got to share like Hands of Orla 
Sherlock, Body Parts, uh, Mad Love, like try to share three or four in a row of all those kind of stories, you know? Um, yeah, Elric and I always talk about doing screening series here in LA. And then we get fun. options to do them and then we never have time to do them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, someday, someday we will start our screening series. Yay. Someday. Yeah. All right. Um, um, no, yeah, nowhere near Mad as good Love. Way. Mad Love was a total trip, um, though I'm still a little mixed on body parts. After seeing this, it made me appreciate it more. Um, we'll I really enjoyed it. Mad Love. This is great. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And and it's shot. It's very short, too, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like 70 minutes or something. It's one of yeah, those ones that moves. It was like yeah. a nice, quick, like, Wednesday morning watch. So, yeah, yeah. I deeply enjoyed this one. Uh, my next that I didn't particularly love, but it was okay, and I hadn't seen it, so I have to talk about it. Um, this is this was them for the New Bev calendar, and they are doing a haul, which is why it's criminal that you're leaving uh, this month to go away. They're doing all horror for a whole month um, because it's halfway to Halloween oh, in May. Shit. So every yeah. day pretty much is horror. And there was mostly nothing. Is this for April or May? No, May. No, May. Almost all of May, yeah. Hey, I'm here for a couple – I'm here for like days. 10 days of May. Let me yeah, – I'm going to look at the calendar. Um, mostly it was stuff – there wasn't much I hadn't seen. Like I've got to say there's maybe three or four and that, that's all I had to watch, which was nice. But um, one I had never watched – I know you've seen it um, – and I never heard anyone say anything good about it. <laughs> so that's why I don't watch it because I'm always mixed on anthologies anyway, because there's always a couple of great parts, but that is dead time stories um, from 86, which I had never actually watched. And that is playing on a double with nightmares, which I actually rather like uh, another anthology. That's going to be a lot of anthology that night. Um, and I hadn't seen this one. This one is the one where it's basically an indie and they are telling st- uh, it's a, uh, a not very nice uncle trying to put his, uh, put his um nephew to bed and his nephew's really super annoying so he tells him stories very perverse darker stories about uh one is about killer witches one is little red riding hood and a modern version of a werewolf as a guy who's trying to pick her up uh, and the last is goldilocks and the three bears but in this case it's three uh, escaped lunatics but goldilocks actually happens to be telekinetic and much more dangerous than they are um it's it certainly wasn't as bad as i'd often kind of heard from people and why i never watched it i kind of stayed away from it. i'd say each the thing that surprised i think that i think the the tone is just way off like it's just one of those mm-hmm. tones where it's never settles like i'll have one that's kind of that goofy comedy horror that i cannot stand where it's pitched really over the top but then there would be gore gags that are fantastic All, each one of them had something that i loved like a moment like a, a transformation scene or um you know just something that will like something that's really subversive right in the middle of something a tone that otherwise didn't work i think for me the little red riding hood one worked quite well for the most part it was like a mm-hmm. uh, little red riding hood has to get get uh, <clears throat> her grandma's drugs to her um and she goes to a, a a cvs kind of thing and meets this guy who can't he's getting medication that probably is very important to him you think it's just uh to keep him balanced but it's actually to probably stop him from turning into a world and they get the medications uh mixed up so he starts oh, wow. stalking her and by the end he's turning into this full werewolf trying to get her and stuff and it's and pretty sexual they're all pretty sexual so they're definitely not uh, you know, kid-friendly anthology. But it's interesting. I, I don't think it works, but I think because it's from 86, and if you haven't seen it, almost, in my opinion, almost anything from that period is worth watching because there'll be something cool on the practical level. There's a nice Blu-ray mm-hmm. out there now. Um, but for me, it's a tonal thing where these movies are just like, because, uh, you know, anthologies are already a mishmash by the nature of three stories. Um, there's no wrap. Oh, the wraparound is the uncle telling his um, kid to go to bed, which it's a little one note as well, you know, but, um, but again, this will be playing at the new Bev. So people haven't seen it. If they're in town, they should go see it there. But um, I wasn't all that hot on it. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to follow that up with my anthology, which right. I had watched because I was talking about Bava in one of my classes. And this is my horror class. Like my, my students are usually pretty savvy on this. And um, they were all vaguely aware of his existence, um, but none of them had seen Black Sabbath, like not one. And then I was immediately like, okay, so Black Sabbath is not getting love in contemporary audiences. So I went home and rewatched it that night um, because I had not seen it in a really long time. Black Sabbath from 1963. This is really peak Mario Bava. And um, this is his anthology piece. But the cool one is he directed the whole thing. So they're all his segments. Three segments, um, the telephone, the word lock and drop of water. 
telephone, I really enjoyed. I had completely forgotten about this segment, but the day before this, I had just watched When a Stranger Calls. And so I was like, oh, this is tight because yeah, it is the same, yeah. When a Stranger Calls, yeah. except, and I will say some of the themes that come out get really muddled over, which was apparently like censorship at the time through um, the distributor, the American distributor, AIP. But it is a prostitute who is basically um, separated from her pimp. And she is getting these telephone calls from the pimp threatening to come over and kill her. And it's very much like, I'm outside. I can get there quicker than the cops can. Um, I'm going to come kill you, bitch. And it's, it's intense. And so instead, she calls her best friend to come over. But her best friend, and again, a lot of this I have a feeling was cut. But you get the feeling that her best friend is kind of hot for her while also seems kind of sadistic at the same time, like her best friend might be trying to kill her. So you get this, you know, now that there's a threat in the house, her best friend's there, there's a threat there, and the guy is still on the phone making phone calls, threatening that he's going to come kill her sometime tonight. And if she calls the cops, he's going to do it immediately. Um, And so she's basically subsisting in just this world of terror. This one was really tight, way better than I remembered it being. Was that the first story in the version you saw? Yeah, it was. I saw the Italian version. Okay, um, that, 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 saw, yeah, because the American one is has a different order from what I remember. Oh, does it? Yeah. yeah. So not I as watched, good from memory. Um, this is the one on Shutter, um, okay. and so it's the full Italian one. Like even though that they are speaking English, it has the Italian translations um, or, or dubbing. And so yeah, yeah I, don't, I, watched, I don't remember the exact story. I just know that they're in different order, and that I, like some people don't like the the remixed version. That, but I can't remember which is which. I think maybe the Verd, Verdelic is the one that gets cut down the most in the American one, maybe. I don't know. So I will say the Verdelic was long in yeah. this one. And I really like this because this is Boris Karloff basically playing a vampire. Yeah. Um, the whole setup of the second one, the Verdelic or Verdelock or however it's said, is that um, the town has been having all these weird deaths and their grandpa, this family's grandpa has been missing for a couple of days. And they're like, Oh my God, do you think that, you know, the vampire that's plaguing our village got him? And then he shows back up at home after a couple of days and is like sup fam, but he looks real pale and he's all weird and like devoid of personality. But anytime somebody's like, grandpa, you look a little edgy. He's like, why are you saying that? Like it's this real tense moment where the family's trying to like, welcome him back in because he's been lost in the woods for a few days but at the same time like grandpa ain't grandpa and then it's that same um, story as um that one that we talked about on here one time night of the devils by the guy who did yeah. middle of the stone woman it's that same mm-hmm. story it's like yeah which i, I love the vertical tales I, I think they're all pretty interesting and creepy yeah because it's all about killing your family because yeah. it's it's very much like as a vampire you feed on those that you love so you have to get close it's not just like mindless killing vampire i'm gonna attack whoever's close it's very much about like the family um and that's what this one is focused on but i have to say that one it ran long like it was definitely like a over 30 minute long segment of this one and so i loved it and i loved boris karloff's performance probably one of my fave boris karloff performances but it definitely ran long in this version as he slowly picked off like eight family members um the one that made this film and the one that most people view as like, this is like fucking Might be my next favorite anthology shit. of anything, that one, yeah. It's great. And that it's is so The Drop of Water. This one is about a nurse who one late and stormy night is called to this rich woman's house. The rich woman has died and the nurse needs to go prepare her for burial. So like before rigor mortis sets in, she has to dress the body and basically get her ready for the mortician to come show up. And she also has to declare her dead. She gets there and the woman died with this like fucking awful grimace on her face. Like it looks like her, like her teeth are curled back and her eyes are sunken in and her eyes are open and they won't close. And so she's just all types of twisted. Um, And she's got this big sapphire ring on her finger. And the nurse keeps looking at it and looking at it. And no one knows this woman. Like even the woman who is there helping is like, yeah, she was like, you know, live by herself. She doesn't have any family. And so the nurse decides to pocket the ring. 
in the process, she knocks over a glass of water and she starts hearing this drop of water. And there's this fly that is like landing on the dead body repeatedly. And it's not even like a house fly. This thing is like a goddamn like deer fly. This thing is massive. Um, And it's kind of like hanging around the body. Nurse pockets the ring, goes home and she's by herself. And all of a sudden she starts hearing drops of water from everywhere. And that gargantuan fly is hanging out in her dining room. And then it spirals into this long, just practice intention. Like it is just this beautiful sequence, this 10 minute sequence of her basically going crazy by herself as she is tormented by the fly the water drops and just feeling a presence in the room. And it is next level brilliance. Like, and then it's got a great scare at the end. Um, But yeah, this one, and I love this because most of the time in 1960s, actresses were beautiful. And if you were going to get scared on camera, it was very much like gasping and clutching your cheek or maybe, you know, biting your knuckle, but you still stayed gorgeous. The actress in this gets thrashed like she is mm. throwing herself around the room she is ripping at her hair her makeup is down her face like you just don't see actresses do this in 1963 it was all about you know you faint so that you don't have to mess up your visage in any capacity showing fear um or crying or anything like that like crying was very kind of you know it was very forlorn and and melodramatic not you know bawling like this the actress fucking goes there in this one it's awesome yeah, no, that's the reason alone to watch. The whole movie's awesome, but that one is the one that just, I think it's, I think way back on Killer POV, we did when we had guests talking about anthologies and we were making our mm-hmm. best. That is definitely one of those stories. But um, people always talk about Blood and Black Lace as the, insp- like a massive um, creative inspiration on, influence on Argento. But I, I look at this short and go, no, this short, this part is like, I see all of Inferno in it. I see most of Suspiria in it. It's mm-hmm. just a feeling of like the way he uses color and oppressive like design to to get into the psychological i i love that kind of filmmaking it's so cool um yeah 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 cool cool why well, you just made me want to rewatch that part of it anyway no it was just awesome i highly recommend you know if you want to watch um telephone word lack awesome if you want to see just peak bava just drop of water i'm fairly sure you could find that solo segment on uh youtube yeah, and I think the telephone one from just memory might be the one that's cut differently, and it's definitely that, in a different place of the movie in one ver- in the American version. So I just don't remember which it is if it's first or so second. That makes sense. Everything that I read said that the telephone was actually supposed to be a much longer piece, but because its themes, like its core theme, is prostitution yeah. and pimping, and then also the strong lesbian undertones yeah. that they had going between the woman and the best friend, that they like really chopped it up because yeah. of that. But that makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, for sure. I know. I know. I, w- oh, well. I would love to have seen Bava's original version of that. I bet it felt drastically different. Okay. So just quickly now, I've, I've had two somewhat like, meh. Um, I'm ending with something just totally rad. It was one of the first ones I wanted to watch when we first started Deep Cuts. Uh, but I was trying to see the first one first, and I could never track it down. And I have heard that you don't really need to. And I'm talking about from uh, the a movie that puts the Category 3 into the Hong Kong Category 3. This is called Possessed 2. There was a possessed one that I've never seen, and I had struggled to find any version of it. And everything I read about possessed one, same director from a couple years before, was kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It's like a decent Hong Kong kind of ghost movie, but Hong Possessed Two is like off the rails from frame one to the last frame. It is made by this guy David Lay uh, from 1984, and I looked him up after this. He would go on to produce the recent Transporter series with um, uh, what's his name, oh. uh, which is interesting. So he's still obviously working. Um, this is a definitely Hong Kong Cat Three. It is a, a cop who's a bit of an asshole to his family and not in love with his wife. And he's got this mistress and he moves his, his wife and his daughter into this shitty apartment, uh, new apartment. And he was in the first one apparently, but I don't know what the context does. And it didn't matter. It felt like watching poltergeist too. Like it felt like you're okay. Now they're moving into a new place and they had some bad experiences in their last place. That's what all I needed to know. Uh, he moves their family into this new flat that looks out on a cemetery, which, uh, is not a good selling point. And in, in uh, you know, this culture, a lot of it is about where you place certain objects in your room, feng shui, all these things really matter 
uh, is it north facing is it south facing of course looking out on a on a graveyard is not a good thing um they they move in and at the start of this movie it actually opens before they move in and you see before they move in there's stuff that looks like it's set in the 50s happening in it like people are Mm -hmm. doing gambling and they all look dead and there's this like beautiful woman who kind of runs it almost like a gin joint and then they all disappear when the family move in and they all start like hiding in corners of the room so you realize oh yeah okay there's tons of ghosts here what's gonna happen and so they move they move into this place and he's a real like i said the cop is a real turkey um of a guy and what did you start- just call him a turkey he's a turkey of a guy? yeah that's what I, I if i was pushing him against the wall in a movie i'd be like you're stop being a turkey mother turkey that's what i would say to him i've never called anyone a turkey in no. my entire life no. i've never even heard that used hey, as know, he's a bit of a, a derogatory term well you, um, you didn't grow up on the streets like i did that's the difference <laughs> where where i come from we call people turkeys <laughs> you, turkey. uh, you know <laughs> in rural pennsylvania somewhere in Bloomsburg, we called people turkeys. No, we didn't. Um, anyway, uh, he, he, uh, so, okay. So where this movie gets really fun, it's like, it's like ripping off a, t- it's a, it's got parts of people who've ever heard me talk about one called Seating of the Ghost, which has a great last 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. It's really bonkers. This is like that, the whole movie. And a lot of it doesn't make much sense, but every five minutes, there's something wild. And so basically his wife, who's very repressed and they're not, and they're not very together uh she gets uh possessed by this this saucy woman who used to run this bar and uh she had she and her her friend or sister i can't remember were in love with the same man and you know there's a murder suicide situation in the past and so she comes back and starts wanting to sleep with everyone and there is a set piece where she has possessed this woman she goes down to the local butchery i mean it's got to be one of the craziest scenes i've seen recently she goes down to the local butchery a very unpleasant looking butcher as you can imagine who's who's not wearing clothes except for his smock with blood all over him and meat uh she walks him into the cold storage truck that transports butchered meat so it's just beyond grotesque and seduces him so there is a sex scene in a butcher thing and you're just going hey this is just gross and halfway through the sex he looks up and she is a full like werewolf creature (laughs) like so suddenly she's got hair all over her body and teeth and you're like what the fuck i thought this was a ghost story so she's like a weird mixture of a of a vampire ghost uh, werewolf and it's just one of those moments where you're like okay that i've never seen before thank you very much uh as as he gets killed um and it just it's got a really zippy pace it keeps moving it's got a little bit of entity a little bit of the thing a lot of exorcist and exorcist too it's all and poltergeist and all this stuff just every few minutes there's crazy stuff and then he has to find these cops who can help him exercise it it fits into the black magic films that were all the films that were being made there where you'll find somebody who can then battle those uh battle those religious elements and where, where it goes i could not have predicted that towards the end the expert that they have to find is a group of hari krishnas who i would call james bond like hari krishna ghostbusters <laughs> They they have a they, they just seem like normal Hare Krishnas at start and they go oh no you know my my friend was uh, done the same way by this woman and he takes them to a facility that looks like it's run by Q from James Bond like a high tech facility run by Hare Krishnas who have all these tools to like fight ghosts and I'm watching the ending of this movie go what the hell is going on here it is completely wild uh, where it goes at the end and it's very fun um, and and like big effects and big everything that's what's fun about these kind of movies but there is also a face rip off at one point by one of the women trying to uh, where she literally just takes her face off and it's one of those moments where you go okay this is why i watch horror films because i love especially practical effects in these in this time period where a couple good moments like that are enough for me to go okay i'm i'm a fan for life unfortunately you know it's one that totally should be on blu-ray i don't know why it's not but again sometimes we do this to try to poke people to be like hey get it on blu-ray i think people would, yeah. I, I would lo- for one i'd love to see possessed one and i looked very deep into the internet could not find possessed one anywhere not even youtube or any spot so uh possessed two probably isn't uh, much easier but it might be on youtube um but it was just super fun so i i can't recommend it enough i can't do justice to the story because i already can't remember much of the story because all i remember are the crazy moments it's just that kind of movie um but yeah put it on your radar like for long term like okay possessed two will be worth watching um there's so many movies with possessed position repossessor uh you know in in the title but this was a, a really good fun bonkers movie this looks fucking amazing i've been glancing at pictures of it while you've been talking and this looks epic. i'll make sure you have it for when you go to set so this can be one of your late night you know uh break movies because you'll have you'll i'm have a blast. in yeah this you'll looks so much fun. wonderful 
Um, okay, well, I will round us out with kind of one of my more bonkers movies picks. It's not a deep cut, but it's about deep cuts. This is oh. a documentary. Um, I watched just because I think it's getting ready to leave Netflix within the last couple of weeks. Like there was definitely I saw it on a leaving Netflix list that prompted me to watch it. And this is I Am Divine, the oh. documentary on Divine from 2013. Now, I had seen this at a festival back in 2013 when it first came out, but I decided to give it a rewatch just because I remembered finding the first uh, time I watched it like 10 years ago to be so compelling. So this is the story of Harry Milstead, who is Divine, um, going from you know, grade school, getting picked on, not knowing who he is, meeting John Waters, kind of starting to make these weird movies and really the birth of the character of Divine. And the documentary really does treat it as a character. It really does treat it as um, Harry's alter ego. Because the documentary, first and foremost, it treats Harry as a really well-rounded person who created Divine and then spent much of his career trying to establish himself as a person outside of Divine. That everybody just knew Divine and, and kind of oftentimes it was Harry kind of battling to say, no, I'm here. And even more so that I'm an actor too, that, you know, if I was able to craft this character and make Divine as big as she ultimately becomes, pay attention to me as an actor and as a performer as well. And so it was just this absolutely beautiful character study, um, really, you know, trying to see Divine as more than dog shit, which is a big thing. Like even as looking at Divine as a character, like Harry knew the power of Divine and knew everything that Divine was capable of. And, you know, Divine ended up doing kind of her own stand-up routines and uh, released an album. Um, but ultimately that even with Divine, it was always this effort to get over the dog shit moment from mm. pink flamingos. Cause that's what stuck in everybody's psyche was that moment. And so really trying to take it to next level, but the documentary also does a beautiful job of really looking at how the character of divine changed the shape of so much. Like it, you know, it was punk rock before we really even, I'm sorry, I have all the windows open because COVID and I also have a shit ton of crows in my backyard. Just so heard that. Sounds, yeah. It sounds like I'm like sitting outside the Adams family property it's like hecklers, right now. Heckling. It is. They um so here's a fun thing. I have two orange trees in my backyard and crows really like oranges. And so mm. I always have crows in my orange trees. So we're yeah. just going to say it's like my gothic manor full nice. of orange trees. Yeah. Um but anyway, so it's very much looking at like the legacy that Divine created. Like it was punk rock before we ne really knew what punk rock was. It follows a lot of John Waters and like guerrilla early filmmaking where he got the camera as a present from his grandma for Christmas. And that one of the very first films was basically just like a bunch of his weirdo friends. Um, and I say weirdo in the most endearing, lovable way I possibly can, um, because I love this. It was such fun to see them just sitting around at parties, fucking around with it and being weird and kind of celebrating that. And um, at its core, that's what this, this documentary is, is like this collection of people who are weird and don't necessarily fit in with other walks of life, but happen to find themselves in Baltimore through John Waters films and really did become this collective making movies together for a really long time. And then even though that it's the story of divine, it follows it all the way through hairspray, um, which was like their big, like, holy shit, we're making a big movie now. Like this is a big Hollywood movie. Um, and with that, it follows divine how she was this, glamorous but real trashy punk rock creature but by the time she gets to hairspray as um harry says in the documentary because it's a lot of footage of him from when he was alive like he had to go ugly for that like he had to play ugly no self-respecting dra drag queen would ever look like edna turnblad but he mm. did so with gusto um always being willing to take those risks and and really change the face like there was just so much of it i was impressed with like there was a scene where um literally he shaved his hairline back like imagine if you just shaved three inches back of your hairline and it was because he decided that divine needed more face to mm. create divine and so divine's got this really pushed back hairline and it hmm. was just like little things like that that you think there's an artistry in that because if I was turning myself into a character, I would never think like 
I wish my face was bigger. I'm shaving my hair back three inches. Mm-hmm. Like that is just such a fucking baller move. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just a really beautiful story. Plus his parents kicked him out at one point when he came out to them. Um, and then later welcomed him back after Desi- divine was a success. But at that point he didn't have a lot of time left. So a lot of it is like hearing from his mom and her regrets and everything like that. It was mm. just a beautiful story and a beautiful documentary. Yeah, I've always um, heard it's great. I just hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, I still think it's on Netflix at least for a little bit longer. So I am divine documentary on Netflix from 2013. Netflix is still it's, around? I thought it I, went under yesterday. I know. I keep hearing. I keep. I should binge everything before it goes. I don't know. We're going back to video stores. I mean, Stranger Things only cost. We worked it out uh, at that price tag. It was two. This means this new season coming out was two hundred and fifty million dollars for the new and season. And I guarantee of that Stranger Things will pull some people back. It won't, it won't make I that know. though. Two hundred fifty no. million dollars. It's like Mm-mm. the problem with their model is that works the first time you do it because you get new people coming to, Oh, I want to see this thing called strange and they might stay, but that's not bringing in the next people. And it's always going to be a cap like that is, is something that we always talked about with Fangoria. Like, you know, we could push subscriptions far and wide to horror fans, but the number of people who are going to be horror fans, there's always a cap for that. Um, It's not like I'm suddenly going to convert like, you know, 50 year old, woman who's never watched a horror film in her life to suddenly subscribe to Fangoria. It's, it's, there's always going to be kind of this cap because it is a niche audience within that. And I think that's how a lot of their shows are, um, on Netflix. Yeah. Well, that the model might turn to like, Oh, it's still Netflix. But then now when stranger things drops, you have to pay it just like on Amazon prime for the new movie, you have to pay the extra five ninety nine. Like I could totally see this shifting pretty fast because so that it's you know, like uh, you pay the fee upcharge. and then you pay more. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing with a lot of these now. Like I am a Hulu subscriber, but there is some stuff that they have moved to Hulu premium Ugh, and it's a lot yeah. of my kids content, which pisses me off even yeah, more because bullshit. he's there screaming that he wants to watch mighty Mike or even like, I love jeopardy. Um, and that has now shifted to Hulu premium, which is like 70 fucking bucks a month Yeah, no, it's, to the it's, point where I'm like, a, you're not getting mighty Mike. And, and I remember why we got here. Jeopardy. We got here because people wanted to cut their cable bill. And now yeah. we are looking at a model that if you subscribe to five or six different services, cause you need to, to see any of these shows, you're now paying more than cable. So we've already, so this is all starting to like eat itself and it, I, they're going to have to figure it out because otherwise uh, they might not be the future. Maybe movie theaters and things will come back again. You know, it's, it's so I interesting. Say, I already spend way more than 70 bucks, yeah. which is oh, what yeah, my cable sure. costs, but I still is- have cable. <laughs> so I have both. Yeah. <laughs> No, and mine, it's it's much more about getting movies on demand. Like, even if I was to bring back cable, I like the fact that on any given night, I can go between um, Night Flight, Shudder, Arrow. Holy fuck, I subscribe to a lot of stuff. Hulu, Netflix, Paramount Plus. Um, I think I'm still probably signed up for whatever that Peacock jazz is. Um, Like HBO Max. Um, yeah, like I have so many of these now. Um, I heard somebody call them vampire economy. And I hmm. think that's a really good way to describe it because it just slowly drains you over time. Like you think right. when you're subscribing, like I just described to Discovery Plus because they're doing all of this really cool um, animal content right now for Earth Day. And so I just picked that one up last week because my kids wanted to watch, you know, old episodes of Crocodile Hunter. And, and it's this and it's like kind of hidden too. Like if you do it through yeah. Amazon, for instance, like and you subscribe to channels within that, suddenly mm-hmm. you don't see what the cost of that is. You forget because you're getting oh, it's five ninety nine here, it's nine ninety nine here, but and you realize oh yeah, and then I don't really get a bill for it because it's just accumulating yeah. somewhere. So you know it's it's a whole different model. And um, I'm that, very curious oh, I also where it's forgot. Happen. I have Apple. I have Paramount Plus um, because I was watching. I was watching something Evil. through Apple. I was watching Seville, Severance Evil was through on, Apple. Yeah, Paramount, Paramount Plus. Plus yeah. So I know. And the new Paw Patrol movie was on Paramount Plus. That's right. You so go on because it's know. free. And then you yeah. get stuck. You stick around past the free. Day. Anyway, the, the point being is I do think mm-hmm. these models are going to have to figure it out. I mean, I think Shutters was a very smart model because it, it had a target audience. And it's catering to the target audience versus some of these yeah. are like trying to get everyone. Like Netflix wants to be king. And it's like, well, if you throw money around like that, we'll see. Because... I think this next few weeks could be hairy for that company, you know? So uh, it's interesting. This is, it's an interesting time to be alive and 
a kind of movie fan because I mean, yeah. even just in our life, you have to think like film reigned for decades where you would go to yeah. the theater and that's what you watch. And even just in our lifetime, we have seen VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to the streaming platforms to Netflix owning the world to where we are now, which is basically like Wild West um, yeah. with streaming that's, platforms. Yeah, just- so yeah, it's and you know I'm, it would have felt like this when TV first started, right? Like it would have like mm-hmm. in, in the VCR oh, TV as well, yeah. right? The VCR coming home for the first time, people would have thought that's the end of movies in theaters, right? Because VCRs are coming home. It's like no, it's not. But but they do take a while to. I mean, me and you were born late '90s, obviously. So we weren't. We didn't see much before like '96. You know, uh, I was us two in '96. Um, we'll go with. Oh, that. were you now? Yeah, um, we'll just go babysitting with that. a two-year-old in '96. <laughs> Maybe at least I was. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, we'll see where that settles. That's a whole different podcast that we uh, probably don't know all the ins and outs of yet. But um, anyway, yeah. at least you at got the same some time, crazy I'm still hoping my kids get over this real quickly so I can go see everything everywhere all at once. I know. Um, I still in the theater, it. I, I want yeah. to see it in the fucking theater. Yeah, so, yeah. I'd like to see it. Yeah, no, there are some movies still where it's like that feels important. Like, I want to see The Northman on a screen. Me Because too. I'm not going to get to see a movie like that again probably in my lifetime. They're probably not going to make a crazy Viking movie. It's probably not going to make its $90 million back. So, uh, you know, so it's shit like that. It's, yeah, movies are still the best. So Yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, Patreon. Thank you guys for listening. Have an awesome weekend. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.